Welcome to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center, a feminist, client-centered, sexual and reproductive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. I'm your host, Abby Strope. On each show, we tackle a topic that impacts our sexual and reproductive health by inviting members of our community who work specifically on the subject. Reproductive Left covers a variety of issues, including, but certainly not limited to, reproductive rights, feminism, access to services, sexuality, gender, and relationships. To wrap up our show, we answer your sexual and reproductive health questions in our Ask Mabel segment. Be sure to stick around for it. Good afternoon, and thanks for tuning in. As promised, this month's episode of Reproductive Left is a live recording done at Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center's annual event, Choice and Chocolate. The interview is with two reproductive justice activists from New Brunswick, Canada. The the full interview is over an hour long, including questions from the audience. If you'd like to hear the full interview, you can listen on soundcloud.com slash Mabel Wadsworth, and you can also find it on iTunes or on whatever podcast app you use. Every year we recognize the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which was the landmark case that legalized abortion in the United States by hosting our event, Choice and Chocolate. Um, We've had numerous past uh, programs that I'm just going to name a couple. One, we had Peaches Bass here, who was part of the Jane Collective, which was a collective of women that provided illegal but safe abortions before abortion was legal in the United States. We had Nathan Stormer here, who is a professor at the University of Maine, who spoke about abortion rhetoric and the research that he does. We had Joanne Daphne here, who gave us the abortion history in of Maine in. Um, in a musical and poetry format. And one year we had great, four brave women share their abortion, their own abortion stories with us. This year, in addition to celebrating Roe v. Wade, which um, happened on January 22nd, 1973, we will also be recognizing R versus Morgenthaler, which was the decision made by the Supreme Court of Canada on January 28th, 1988. And I just, I'm going to sidetrack from my notes for a second, because I just started learning more about Dr. Henry Morgenthaler, and we don't, well, he'll probably be brought up a bunch through our interview today, but I would recommend spending some time researching him, because he was one incredible man that did um, amazing advocacy work for women in Canada. Um... So before this case in 1988, anyone who wanted an abortion in Canada needed to obtain permission from three doctors. And since the 1988 ruling, there have been no criminal laws regulating abortion in Canada. And it is a violation of the Canada Health Act if a province, like New Brunswick, does not provide access to abortions. So tonight we're going to learn about access to abortion care in New Brunswick and how a group of reproductive justice activists opened an independent clinic in Fredericton less than a year after the previous clinic closed. So first I'm going to introduce you to our guests really quickly and then we'll allow them to to give us more information about who they are and what they do. So um, actually let me just... So first we have Hannah Gray, 
who is the secretary and the signing officer for Reproductive Justice New Brunswick, which I'll also be calling RJNB tonight. And she's also a full-time student, which I think is incredibly impressive. And Allison Webster is the treasurer of Reproductive Justice New Brunswick. She is also the vice president of Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada, and she is a counselor and a consultant for Clinic 554. <laughs> Not 554. <laughs> um, so first, I would love to just hear, first we'll start with Hannah, um, about how you got involved in Reproductive Justice New Brunswick and doing this advocacy work and how you balance that with being a full-time student. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess when I got involved, before I got involved, when I was 12 years old, my grandmother, who's also a Holocaust survivor, like Henry Morgenthaler, told me her abortion story um, because she was worried that I would stop forgetting how important it is to control my own body. Fast forward about 12 years from that, um, the more we found out that the Morgenthaler Clinic was closing. So the Morgenthaler Clinic provided 60% of the abortions in New Brunswick. Um, and the day we found out, uh, one of the kids that I mentor, we have a really great group of kids in Fredericton called the Fredericton Youth Feminists, um, said to me, Hannah, we need to do something. I'm going to start a ra I think we need to have a rally. I was devastated, so I went to sleep. But when I woke up, <laughs> she had started organizing the rally. <laughs> so one week later, and we had 700 people there. Uh, we're a very small and rural province, so that's a big deal. Very conservative province as well. Um, and from that moment forward, I think it wasn't really a choice for me. Um, those kids needed me in the room. Um, and I needed to be there. I needed to be part of making sure that I still controlled my own body. I don't think it's ever been a choice. I think that um, I always have the choice to leave that group. I always have the choice not to get up in the morning and go on, check the emails. I have a choice every single time I participate. But for me, it's part of who I am. Um, it's a part of the history of my family, and it's a part of myself. Um, I don't think that I would feel whole not doing it. Um, in terms of balancing it, it is, has been for the past two years now um, a part of my life. It's a daily part of my life. I probably spend more time on it than school. I probably spend as much money on it as school. <laughs> um, but I just think that it makes me a better person. It makes me a better mentor. It makes me a better sister and daughter. Um, it makes me a better person to myself. And so when we talk about a balancing act, it's unconscious, it's second nature, because I haven't lived any other way for probably about two years now, so. Wow. And so also I want to ask you, Allison, um, how did you start to get involved in reproductive justice and access to abortion care, and what continues to motivate you to stay involved, because it's exhausting work. It, it can be exhausting, um, but I uh, worked at the Morgenthaler Clinic, which, um, was in operation um, in New Brunswick since the late 80s. I worked there for five years uh, as support staff. So when um, we got the news that the clinic was going to be um, closing after Dr. Morgenthaler died and due to continued lack of funding, it kind of like Hannah said, in some ways it, it wasn't an option to not stay involved because um, it was so devastating for me to think about my community being without the clinic and 
Um, so being being an employee, we we you know found out about a month before the public announcement of the closure. So um, had a little bit of time to sort of grieve and process, and it it just wasn't an option to go quietly. Like we just it wasn't. So. Um, I'm very proud to be one of the founding members of what is now our JMB. And really, we just, there was like a group of us, it was like a snowy March day, and we just met in a coffee shop, and there was probably about 20, um, you know, people from different walks of life, law professors, um, other community activists, and we just, we just had to mobilize. We, we didn't have a choice. So um, since that day, um, and I mean, before then, like we were still doing some um, activism and like I became involved with the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada um, not too long after I started at the Morgenthaler Clinic. So um, doing some activism with that group, but um, really just the need um, and the, the fear that our community would be without this really necessary um, health service was just enough to drive us and um, and become the group that is now our JMB. Um, you were saying that the closure of the clinic is what led to starting this group. Um, from my research, the Morgenthaler clinics are throughout New Brunswick, so there's one in Toronto, Ottawa, St. John's, if I'm right, and the clinic in Fredericton is the one that closed. Can you talk a little bit about why that closed after um, Dr. Henry Morgenthaler passed away? Yeah, so the um, the clinics, there's uh, clinics in that are still Morgenthaler clinics in Ottawa and Toronto. Um, the, the clinic in St. John's is actually sort of run separately, but they still kept um, the Morgenthaler name sort of in tribute to Dr. Morgenthaler. Um, but in Ontario, which, so instead of states in Canada, we have provinces. So um, Ontario is where the Toronto and Ottawa clinics are. Um, the provincial government pays for services at those clinics. So those clinics are funded by the provincial governments. Whereas in New Brunswick, um, our government, you know, since the 80s has refused to fund abortions in a clinic setting. So the clinics, um, not only are Ottawa and Toronto uh, very like large urban centers, um, and so they do procedures like every day of the week basically, um, but the provincial government also pays for procedures there, um, which is different from New Brunswick. So patients have to pay out of their own pocket. And New Brunswick is a fairly economically depressed um, province. So, you know, $700 for a procedure is just out of reach for so many people. So um, I did want to just talk a little bit about what the what access in New Brunswick looks like. So I looked it up a little bit, and like you were just saying, only... Um, the, they're only paid for if they're done if abortions are done in a hospital setting, um, and you can only get the abortion funded if you have a New Brunswick or a Prince Edward Island health card. That's right. Um, and then additionally, there's generally two appointments that people need to have. Yeah. So New Brunswick is a very big province. It's one of our challenges. 
and we're bilingual province. And so the northern part generally speaks French and the southern part generally is English. Most people in the north are generally bilingual, but not really to talk about reproductive health care. Um, and we also have a pretty low health literacy rate. We know that most people in New Brunswick, um, a large portion aren't literate in general, and most people in New Brunswick don't understand health very well. Um, so to get an abortion, you have to go to one of two hospitals. Last year, when the clinic closed, and there was just a, such an uproar across the country, the provincial government said, okay, we're going to increase access. And they had to pick one, Eng because there's only access in French hospitals, they had to pick one English-speaking hospital to provide access, and they put it five minutes away from the other French-speaking hospital. And so people are still driving four or five hours um, to get to one of these clinics. They do still require two appointments. Um, the first one is supposed to be for counseling, what they call counseling, and an ultrasound. When we asked, and then the next appointment is for the procedure. And when we asked um, the health authority why they, they, why they did this, the person in charge of clinical services looked at me and said, because women need to think about what they're doing before they go. And so this, this thing that's struck down in Texas, of all places, is actually like very persistent um, in our culture where they just think that these people can't make their own decisions. Um, if you live close enough, evidently you don't need, far away enough, apparently you don't need that time. So people who are traveling from far away um, sometimes don't have to go twice. Um, but <laughs> they must be smarter, I don't know. <laughs> um, also, the abortions are only performed up to 11 weeks after conception, mm -hmm. and often there's a four-week waiting period, So, or not a waiting period, but a wait list because mm -hmm. the, the, it's so booked. So what are um, people's options if they're further than 11 weeks? Um, the only option is to pay to go to a clinic. Um, there's nothing else that they can do. Um, there are clinics in, like, out of province. Mm -hmm. So um, up until recently, um, well, and actually still ongoing, um, patients can travel to Quebec, um, but from, like, where we live in Fredericton, um, it's a solid, like, six-hour drive just to the border. Um, and because of the, the law that our uh, government has about not funding clinic procedures, um, if they, if a patient goes to a hospital in Quebec, they can get refunded their money, but if they go to a clinic in Quebec, they're just out of pocket. So depending on um, the, their gestation and which, um, which place they choose to go, they can either try to get some of the money back or just not get the money back. Um, that said, we do have a clinic in Fredericton that goes far, farther along. So the cutoff date that they have in the hospitals is really arbitrary. There's nothing medical about that date. There's no medical reason for it. And so we've reopened. There, there's a new clinic in Fredericton now that does go farther along um, because they go the first trimester because that's medically sound. And that's how they make their decisions. So the clinic... The Morgan Teller Clinic closed in July of 2014. Mm -hmm. I think the announcement was in April or March. Um, and less than a year later, so January of 2015, mm -hmm. you had the funds together and had Clinic 554 started. How did you raise money so quickly and get that going? Um, probably just a really healthy amount of fear. 
Um, <laughs> I think. So we were having an event called Thanks Henry, which is like an, um, an event to memorialize Henry a year after his death and to talk about all that we had lost since he died and everything that he brought to Canada. Um, and at that event, someone said, like, we need this clinic, which we do. Um, in the meantime, actually, we were sending people here. Um, so people were driving here. And we were so blessed to send them here. Um, and I can't tell you how great it was. It was still terrifying when you think of the weather in the winter, uh, people without passports, and the idea of going through the border and trying to explain to people where you were going. Um, so we, um, we had this idea, and we kind of threw it around, and how would we do this? Um, and we decided we were going to crowdfund it. Um, the same way someone, I think the same week, did like a bowl of mac and cheese, we were doing an abortion clinic. <laughs> um, so uh, we put the crowdfunder up, um, and it went viral. We got, I think in three days, we got $80,000 from people across Canada. The average donation was around 50 bucks. Um, we had over about 1,500 to 200 people contribute on there. Um, the Frederick Union Feminist organized a gala event, so they organized a fundraiser. Um, mostly a 17-year-old organized a fundraiser um, and brought in I think about four thousand um, dollars, and it was just it, there was there's not a lot of exchange of services. It was genuine people having fear. It was around the same time that that movie came out. Um, we bought a zoo, so like our little joke was we we're gonna we bought an abortion clinic, um, and and to be fair, we helped buy an abortion clinic um, because the our amazing doctor um, put his own life out west on hold and um, moved to our province and used his own credit. Um, and put his name on the line to secure the mortgage of the building. Um, so our JMB was thrilled to be able to help our doctor to purchase the building and, and uh, get clinic abortions going again in the province. And the difference now is that our clinic also is a medical is a family practice. And so we're like marginally more sustainable because we are able to bring in revenue um, through having family practice on days that are, we're not providing abortions. I just wanted to say quickly, so we were seeing um, women from New Brunswick for about six months, and it was, I work as a clinical assistant um, when, on days that we do abortion care, and it was really, actually, I'm glad that they do not have to travel to Mabel's anymore, but it was very, it was a good experience to get to know some women and get to know Canadians a little better. Um, it did seem like the stereotype was true that everyone from Canada is nice, but... <laughs> My health minister's not. <laughs> if you are just tuning in, you are listening to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Centre. Today's show is a live recording from Mabel Wadsworth Centre's annual event, Choice in Chocolate. The interview is with Hannah Gray and Allison Webster from Reproductive Justice New Brunswick, and we are talking about abortion access in New Brunswick. How, when you first started the crowdsourcing, how long did you anticipate it taking to fundraise for this? We really had no idea. I mean, we we really didn't know what to expect, and we sort of were um, just flying by the seat of our pants, so to speak. Like, it was sort of just this idea that, you know, it's um, so crazy, it just might work. Like, we just sort of jumped in, you know, with both feet, and um, as soon as it went viral, it became clear that we were going to meet our target and not only meet it, but surpass it. 
um, within a few days, uh, a few weeks, I guess. Um, but we just really didn't know what to expect. And I think we just, it was just sort of um, desperation and, um, you know, just thinking like, what do we have to lose? And so, um, and we, you know, we had a, a vague timeline um, from our doctor. Um, so we sort of, you know, we just, we just jumped in. We didn't really know what to expect. I always say the hardest part of feminist activism is organizing feminist activists. <laughs> so at the same time as doing this, we were also trying to figure out how we were going to do that and how we were going to have all this money. And so when she says flying by the seat of the pants, like really genuinely. Um, and also at the same time, the fact that a doctor was coming was secret because we were really worried about what would happen if the minister, like the health minister or anyone in the Department of Health found out that we were bringing in another abortion provider and the barriers that they could create. Um, and so we had code names for everything. I didn't get one, and I'm still jealous. Um, <laughs> but we had code names, we had very secret emails, and it was a very um, it was a, it was very easy to see how people before us were would have had to feel because on top of all of the secrecy that comes with it, we know that the history of abortion in Canada and in the states has been built on a lot of violence, and we were very lucky to avoid that, but also understood the culture of fear I think better than I have ever before. I think we also felt um, like a real, especially like when this money started coming in, like we felt such a responsibility to, and so much gratitude to, to people that, um, you know, sent anywhere. We, we got we got a letter, like not even, um, you know, not an email transfer or whatever, but an actual letter with a $5 bill in the envelope and with a note that said, like, I wish I could give more, but, you know, what you guys are doing is so important. And so we, we you know, yes, we were sort of flying by the seat of our pants, but we also felt this, like, huge responsibility to all these people that had entrusted us with this, $125,000 that we ended up raising. So um, I don't I don't want to seem like that we were blasé about it at all. Like we definitely, we maybe weren't quite as organized when we started the crowdfund as we could have been, but we definitely had like a real sense of responsibility and that, you know, that, that we were just going to keep working until we, we met our goal. You mentioned earlier that New Brunswick is a pretty conservative province and it sounds like you had um, just a lot of support coming in through all of Canada. What was the response from your more local community? So our local community is kind of interesting because we have two things. Um, our clinic is actually located right next to the Right to Life. Um, they can see our parking lots in their house. They used to protest us every time they got a chance. Um, but what we what happened was in that atmosphere where we're getting protested on the street every day, where people are getting chased, you know, as they're walking into the clinic, they're getting chased. Um, we found out that all of these people who before could stay silent realized that they couldn't, and so all of a sudden, all of my classmates were also at these rallies with me. Um, all of these teachers were the profs were joining RJ and B. People were talking about it. I think more than I could have imagined before because everybody knew that there was something on the line. In November of 2014, the Liberal Party promised to improve access to abortion in New Brunswick. <clears throat> Have they kept this promise? <laughs> <laughs> we both like each other a lot. 
Um, yeah, uh, the now um, premier of our province had promised um, in his campaign to remove all barriers to access, which is a pretty lofty promise, um, and they just really haven't come close. Um, but, you know, they added the extra hospital in the same city that we already had a hospital. <laughs> um, and then sort of have just said, like, uh, we, we did what we said we were going to do. Um, so, you know, even though we had a change of government from conservative to liberal, um, you know, it's marginally improved, but um, they sort of still seem like they just don't want to don't wanna face it. It's kind of like, so we sent them a letter recently, we got a letter back from the Minister of Health, Victor Boudreau, um, shout out, and he said, um, he said, we identified all of the barriers, and then kind of said, and that's all. Um, we kind of, he said, you know, we, we identified them and we removed this one, and now that's it. Um, so we're very much still waiting, very disappointed. We recently had a party of, um, an anniversary of nothing in November, we celebrated an anniversary that repealed it didn't happen. Um, I was reading in your RJNB zine, which is awesome, by the way, that you um, love Clinic 554, mm -hmm. um, but you are separate from it. Mm -hmm. I'd like to know more about why, um, as the Reproductive Justice New Brunswick, you think it's important that there is this clinic that provides abortion care instead of working to increase access to the hospital care. There's quite a few reasons. Um, it's best practice, and we know that. Um, in hospitals, the stories that we've heard from the past 40 years of abortion services in New Brunswick is that inevitably what happens, and the Department of Health has acknowledged this, in fact, it was one of them that told me this, is that you can start a clinic that's completely pro-choice and in a hospital, and you can staff a hospital with people who are pro-choice, and then someone goes on mat leave. And then that's a really good time for someone who's anti-choice to get in there. And so we've heard a lot of stories about people being forced to do things that they didn't want to, um, being forced to look at ultrasounds when they didn't want to. Um, the clinic, the other hospital in Moncton, not the new one, but the old one, actually has a blacklist policy that if you show up more than 15 minutes late, you're blacklisted from that part of the hospital forever. So you can't cancel on misappointments. Um, I have, with the youth that I've worked for, called to ask about abortion care, and they, um, they have lied to us over the phone about who can get abortion services. Um, they, not everyone who's there should be or wants to be there. Um, we, they always say that the clinic got protested and that's why they have to close it, but I'd much rather have the protester outside than touching my stomach. Yeah. And the clinic is now up and running successfully for a year? We actually announced it a year this week. Oh, okay. <laughs> so what is... RJNB working on now, and what are some of your major projects um, for the upcoming year? So we're still working on lobbying the government um, to get abortion services funded in the clinic. Um, that's a huge one because it's still an incredible barrier for so many people. Um, so, you know, abortion access is still one of the, the forefront of what we're working on. Um, but we're also working on reaching out to other um, activists in the province, working with um, New Brunswick Families for Midwives, um, because 
in New Brunswick, uh, patients can't choose to have a midwife um, in their delivery process. Um, that's not, a, a, that's another um, unfunded service in the province. Um, working with the youth feminists and <laughs> we do a lot of like skill sharing so we do um, like one of the first time for instance I'm planning media training and we're just inviting all of the grassroots organizations um, we really lend our support pretty far and wide we are on an anti-austerity group um, I'm trying to think. we were trying to work with a group in PEI so Prince Edward Island the province next to us um, recently uh, is about to launch their own lawsuit as well um, and so exploring those options. We're petitioning locally and federally. Um, we spoke out against conscientious objections. So in New Brunswick, in Canada, there's an ethical code that a doctor can refuse care that's against their religions or refuse to do care. So that would mean like refusing to provide an abortion, but you still have to refer them somewhere else. And our health minister made a statement that you could just refuse to treat someone if they were against your religion, um, referring to trans people. So saying that he didn't. He was not going to force any doctor to see a trans person, including in the emergency room. So we spoke out against that. Um, we organized a lot of panels <laughs> um, and things like that. So it's that kind of lobbying. All right. So I am now actually going to open it up for audience questions. Um, first, I just want to thank you again, both of you, for coming down joining us for Choice in Chocolate and being on Reproductive Left. You've been amazing. Thanks for listening. And if you want to hear the questions from the audience, you can find the full interview on soundcloud.com slash Mabel Wadsworth. You can also listen on iTunes or on whichever podcast app you use. Thank you for listening to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by WERU and Mabel Wadsworth Center. I'm Abby Strout, and please tune in next time, the first Tuesday of the month at 4.30, right here at Community Radio WERU, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, or online at WERU.org.